liturgy, and <clears throat> tonight we start where we stopped a few weeks ago, and that is uh, the conscience. We're talking about the conscience, the first thing tonight, and <clears throat> when you think about the conscience, that determines moral right and wrong, and, and uh, you know, I remember as a child, even being a small child, and, and you know, being taught in a Christian home, and taught right from wrong, and and, uh, you know, it's like that, that old, you see that picture of, of, of the angel on one shoulder and the demon on the other shoulder, or the devil, and, you know, telling you this is going to be so fun, and the angel saying, you better not do that. And, and that's kind of like the conscience. The conscience, is, it, it, it's our moral guide, guidance or guidepost. And, and uh, God gave us a conscience, and, and it's one of those things that if we're not careful, we can sear our conscience. And if you sear your conscience, then you don't know right from wrong. You just, you just, God finally turns you over to a debased mind and you do exactly what you want to do. So it's so important that we pay attention to our conscience and not continue to run through those red lights. When God puts a light up, stop. If it's a caution light, stop. If it's a green light, go. But <clears throat> as, as we think about that, First Thessalonians... Uh, not First Thessalonians, I'm so sorry. Uh, as we think about that, Acts chapter 23, verse 1 says these words. The Apostle Paul was talking, and, and the Sanhedrin's divided, and he's talked, uh, Paul's told them that he's a Roman citizen, and now they, they're, they're having a real division between them. And then in verse 1 of chapter 23, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now, <clears throat> when I read that, and I think the Apostle Paul, that he's lived in a good conscience. Did I, I, I'm sorry, it was 23-1. I put, probably put the wrong path. I do apologize. When I looked up there, I thought, that doesn't... Verse 15. Who show the work of the law written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, how? Between themselves... Their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Now, God gave us ways to know Him. We can know God through our conscience. We can know God through, our crea through creation. And we know God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the last thing. That's why He says when you deny the Holy Spirit of God, there's nothing else to do. You cannot be saved. But somebody here, tell me a story about when God smote your conscience. When you were in a, a, a place that you're going to have to make a decision, and you might have wanted to go this way, but God wanted you to go this way, anybody ever face that dilemma? Can you share one with us? Driving versus going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and that, that's kind of like this moral dilemma, isn't it? Uh, and I think all of us would be honest we could say at certain times in our life we were faced with that moral dilemma where we had to make a choice and it would have been so easy to make the wrong choice and at times we did make the wrong choice right? I mean am I the only one guilty of that? ma'am But that's a moral dilemma, isn't it? And, and we come to that place, what do I do? How do I do this? What decision do I make? 
Anybody else want to share one? Doesn't count, does it? Doesn't count. And, and <clears throat> you know that I get, I'll share the moral dilemma that Sandy and I had. Sandy didn't get saved till she was fifteen. They moved around the military. Didn't weren't, weren't in church except on Easter or Christmas or that you know special occasion. And uh, she got saved at fifteen. We started dating when she was fifteen, just before she turned sixteen. We went to church together here at Salem First Baptist Church while we were dating in high school. We, <clears throat> I went off to the Air Force and went through basic training at tech school. And I, I was a chapel guide, by the way. And uh, then we got to tech school, and, you know, it wasn't as frequent going that six, seven, eight weeks that I was there, and eight weeks, nine, whatever it was. And then we came home, and we, we were gone to Michigan to Wordsmith Air Force Base. First Sunday, we got up. What did we do? We put our church clothes on. We go to church. Now, <clears throat> I am a southern boy that grew up southern. I am now in a place that's not in the south and very different culture than I was used to. I knew everybody at church, so everybody talked to you at church. Guess what? We walk in. We're a young couple. She's 17. I'm 19. It's like we didn't exist. Sit down. Nobody said a word to me. Now, I didn't say a word to anybody either, so I'm, I'm telling you I was guilty too, Okay. Well, guess what? Nobody said anything to us. Went and got in our 1967 Plymouth Valiant, headed back toward the Air Force Base, and I said, I'm not going back. And I didn't. Now, the conscience every Sunday, guess what was happening? You need to be in church. No. You need to be in church. No. And it's like a bell. When that bell rings, you're close, you hear it. But the further you get from that bell... Eventually, you get to the place you don't hear it. Then, almost two years after we were married, Sandy delivers Josh. A year later, 13 months later, Crystal. We moved to, well, Blyville, Arkansas. Now I have two children, okay? And I've got my conscience working on me again, the Holy Spirit working on me again. My mom, grandma and grandpa kept us in church. It's my moral responsibility and divine responsibility to make sure my children are in church. So we started back. But here was the problem. I just wanted to have one foot in that. You know, I didn't want to be wholly committed. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be doing anything. So we'd go to Trinity Baptist Church one Sunday. Next Sunday, Calvary Baptist Church. And we'd bounce back and forth. And that way, you know, we didn't have to commit. And then we'd come to home to Salem. We'd go here with Mom and Grandma. But then the Holy Spirit kept working on me. One day we were running behind and we were rushing to get to church. And we'd come to the end of, of, the, of the highway from Gosnell, which hit 18 that either goes right to Jonesboro, left to Blyville. And there was this sign there every Sunday we would look at. It said, Beacon Baptist Church. 
And I said, well, that's closest. Let's just go to Beacon Baptist Church. So we did. Everybody welcomed us there. And we got in the door. And, and the preacher preached. And, uh, you know, he, he was what I needed at that time. He was an old-fashioned I mean, when you left, you were beat up, stomped up. But it's what I needed at the time. And then he said, I'm going to come visit you. And he did. And uh, I told Sandy, I said, we're going there. And we're going to be committed. I asked him, I said, Charles, Brother Charles, what can I do? He said, we need somebody to mow the yard. Okay, I'll mow the yard. Then I got promoted to vacuuming the church. <laughs> but he had a certain way he wanted it vacuumed. You know, you, 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 some people just go everywhere. He wanted it this way, and that way those lines were all straight. I did it. And, but what happened is that transformation, now that we were wholly committed, but I wasn't yet wholly committed, there was still a moral dilemma, and the moral dilemma was this. God had called me to preach at 17, and I'd been running from that call, and I was now... 24 and I told him about that and we had a testimony service one night and I was sitting on the second pew they only had two rows small church and uh, he said anybody have anything to say before we dismiss and I had Josh on this leg and Crystal on this leg so I pushed him off I stood and I said God's called me to preach he said you'll preach next Sunday night now I had a different kind of dilemma <laughs> but that's been 1987. So, but that was a moral dilemma. And that was a divine dilemma. And for seven years, I ran. And for those years I was out of church, I ran. But the conscience continues to say, here's what you need to do. And the reason I told you that, because you know I'm not perfect not even close to being perfect, but we all face those dilemmas. And sometimes we want to say, Lord, I know you're wanting me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. And that's a spiritual dilemma, a divine dilemma. And Paul faced that, and we face that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says these words, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And... If, if you go back and read Timothy, you see what he's talking about there. And, and, and he, he's basically saying, listen, what you have to do is continue to stay close to me. And that's what we'll study this Sunday in John 15, that abiding presence. The closer you get to Christ, the closer you get to Him, the more fellowship you have with Him, the more that you're staying in constant uh, contact with that, that line open to Him, that you're not going to have your conscience seared with the hot iron. You're, you're going to have a very tender conscience. And when God pricks it you know and when God directs you you know and, and uh, we'll be discussing that this coming Sunday but we also have a will and our will is the ability to choose a course of action and uh, some people don't think we have a free will they say you know you, you can't make a you, every choice you make God makes it for you uh, God gave us a free will and that freedom of, of our will sometimes leads us into deep water, <laughs> uh, sometimes dark places. But as we think about that, 
in that course of action we get to take. I think in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, I love the words, the second part of this, but I'll read the whole thing. It said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, this was Joshua, he's talking to the nation of Israel, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, you get the opportunity to choose. Now, you're Israelites. God delivered us from bondage. He's brought us into the promised land. But you get the opportunity to choose whether you will serve the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the, gods, or the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he says, now, here's what I'm going to do. Me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's, that, that's a choice that we get to choose. We have that freedom of will to make a determination. This is what I will do. And I put roots down deeply, and here's where I am. Now, also in Acts chapter 27, verse 43, we have these words. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first to get to land. So guess what? You've got this opportunity, this choice to make. Now, what, what, did, the other, what did everybody on the ship say about Paul before this point? Don't go overboard. Don't jump. Stay on the ship. Right? Go back and read that again. Okay? Go back and read that. Paul says, if you don't stay on this ship, you'll lose your life. And then the ship broke up, and then no one lost their lives because they stayed on board. But initially they were going to bail. But Paul said, no, you can't do that. But they had the opportunity, the freedom to choose a course of action. And you know what? Every single day we are, we are faced with all of these choices. Right, wrong, good, bad, good, great, better, best, right? And, and <clears throat> I, sometimes I, I, I thought I would just like to make a, a list. Every time I have to make a choice, just write it down, you know, and see how many times in a day that you have to choose something. I don't think you could do that, do you? I don't think you'd have the ability to do that. I mean, because your mind is constantly firing and going, and everything is a choice, right? So it's important. That's why it's so important that we abide in Christ with, as a branch, because if we're not abiding in Christ, then we begin to falter in making good, wise, godly choices. So the closer we abide, the more that we, that we hang on to Him, cling to Him, keep that line open to Him, the better choices that we're going to make, the wiser decisions that we're going to make, and, and, and the more peace and joy that we're going to have, which we'll find out in the next message, because Sandy already made me do that message. And, and by the way, in two weeks, I really hope that you're here and, and bring somebody with you. I don't want to spoil it, but I'm going to share it, just one part of it with you. It talks about joy. And you know, so many people are joyless. And as believers, we should never be joyless. Doesn't mean you're always happy that your joy should always just resonate and others can see it. I'll stop there. I won't tell you anything else. Let's look at our next passage of Scripture out of 1 Timothy 6, 9. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and stare into many foolish and harmful us, which drown men in destruction and perdition. I remember... <clears throat> Hold on, I've lost his name. Doggone it. You ever do that? Yeah, the older you get, the more you do it. <sighs> R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee. He was pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church, Memphis, Tennessee, from the 1950s to 1972, I believe. Anyway, great man, great man. And uh, <clears throat> he had this deacon in his church, and this deacon was faithful. He was tithing. He, 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 I think at that time he was making $100 a week, and he was giving $10. He was faithful. And he called R.G. Lee and he said, would you pray that this business I'm going to undertake would take off? And R.G. Lee got the floor with him. They held hands and he prayed and God started blessing that business. And he started making not $100 a week, but soon he was making $1,000 a week. And he was giving $100. And then it continued to, to expand. And then he was making 10000 And then R.G. Lee noticed, though, that what he was giving didn't go up. And then he really started making big money. And this was a couple years later, and R.G. Lee called him and said, listen, I'd like to come down and, and visit with you. And he, of course, he, he was starting to not be in church. He was starting to do his own thing because, I mean, he was, he was blessed. I mean, he had all these things that he needed, and he had to work harder and harder to sustain it. So R.G. Lee said, I want to come down and pray for your business. He said, I would love you to come and pray for my business. So they got down, different floor, more elaborate office, holding hands. And here's what R.G. Lee prayed. Dear God, I pray that you would take Bill's business from him. Give him back to one, making $100 a week. Amen. Bill said, what in the world was that about? He said, when you made $100 a week, you were faithful to God. But now, you're not. He said, I'll start tithing on my income this week. But what happens is, if, if you're not careful... Money is morally neutral, but money can mislead us. And then it becomes, we, we lust after money. We desire money, and we think money is going to bring us happiness. But what it will do, it's a temptation and a snare. And, and many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. Listen, I've not ever seen money make anyone happy. I've seen it give them more things. But I've seen it also give people a lot more problems. You know, when you come to the Word of God, it's like James says, when you come to the Word and you look into the Word, it's like a man looking into the mirror, seeing his reflection, who he really is. But if we're not careful, what do we do? We go away and forget what type of person we truly are. That's why it's so important to stay in this all the time. My mother and I were talking today, and she said, you know, the older I get, the more I, I, I stay in the Word, the more I read, the more time she has. And, and we should. And, and we should stay there because it will keep us from sin. But if we're not careful, we'll push that aside, and it won't keep us from sin because sin will begin to ensnare us and trap us. I went ahead and gave you the James 4 passage, but we'll go ahead and put it up there anyway. 
adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And what, that doesn't mean lost people when talking about the world. It's talking about the world system. It, it's talking about the ungodliness. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Choice. We get to choose. We get to choose. Uh, that leads me to the next thing, which is views concerning man's nature. And uh, did I skip something? Okay. Maybe I... Okay, I see it. I see it. I just got these new glasses. Uh... There's a, there, there, there's a debate that, that's going on, and that, this, it's, it's gone on from, with theologians since 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, uh, concerning the parts of the essence of man and his nature. And I, I even debated about whether I'd put this in here or not, because it's not something you'd bring out on a Sunday morning, because you just don't, I mean, you, you just, you don't. Uh, but but I want to go ahead and, 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 and speak about it briefly. Uh, not not I won't elaborate on it. I won't go to length. But, but the first thing is a trichotomy. And when I say a trichotomy, man is made up of body, soul, and spirit. And as we think of that, man, when we think of, of trichotomy, man is divided into three different uh, categories. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 23, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible talks about this theological concept called a trichotomy. And uh, you could refer to that as being a, a triune in form, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Body, soul, spirit. We're a triune being, okay? But that's just the theological word for that. And uh, then there's a dichotomy. Some believe that, the, uh, that, that we are a dichotomy. Oh, I forgot first. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead to the Hebrews passage. For, because it kind of teaches the, this, this same, this same cost, concept of a trichotomy. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piecing it even to division of soul, spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we have, we have biblical scripture that back up the concept of a man being a triune being or being a trichotomy. But also uh, that concept of dichotomy, which is man is made up of two parts, material and immaterial. And again, this this has been a theological battle for years, and for me, it really, I mean, it doesn't deal with salvation, okay? So they can argue all they want to. It's kind of like one argument that theologians had back in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th century where how many, how many angels could be on the end of a needle? <laughs> Who cares? But some people just like to argue for the sake of arguing. Um... Uh, And they say, because spirit and soul often in Scripture are interchangeable, that we have a body and then just soul and spirit. You just make them one. 
I fall into the category of the trichotomy, but it doesn't matter that much. I mean, God, God has it under control, and we don't need to fuss about things that are, you know, where you could, that are not, that are not just crystal clear. By the way, if it, when that when we get to heaven, God's going to straighten it all out. <laughs> so, uh, just keep that in mind. I told them in the back I would stop at a quarter till tonight. And uh, any questions or comments or thoughts? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Oh, no, no. I was just young, dumb, and arrogant and had a chip on my shoulder. I, we probably would have went back, yes. But I can't blame them. I blame me. Because I made that choice. And I had the chip on my shoulder because I was a southern boy and I was in Yankee territory. 